So welcome along. It's fantastic to have you here. What a, what a joy and a privilege it is to gather together. What a joy and a privilege it is to see a family making a decision to raise their child and say, yeah, we want to see our son, our daughter, our family follow the Lord. Um, so it's great to be here today. And uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited that you're here. We're going to get stuck straight into it. Our reading this morning is going to come from John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. We're in a series uh, called The Pearl of Great Price, or The Pearl, where we're looking at basically why is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth following? Why is Jesus worth following? Why is Jesus worth giving our lives to? And so in John chapter 1, we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made, and in Him was life. And that life was the light, everyone say light, of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Has not overcome it. uh, I'm going to preach today on the topic of it's getting bright in here. It's getting bright in here. And I've been looking forward to this message in this series about uh, this idea that that there was a light that came into the world um, and that Jesus is that light and this is why he's worth following. And as I was thinking about this and I was studying and preparing for this, I started thinking about uh, my year nine science class with, with Mr. Les Ormrod, who was a big Englishman and he was, uh, he was a, a great teacher and um, not necessarily the most relatable fella when it came to being a young lad. But he loved his science and he loved his stuff. And uh, anyway, we uh, one day he um, he set us an assignment. Do you remember oral presentations? Remember oral presentations back in the day? Some of you are the age where when you did an oral presentation, you had PowerPoints. Who remembers oral presentations before PowerPoints? When what you used to do is get one of those A3 pieces of coloured cardboard, and then you used to like write, even before computers, how weird's that? You used to write, or if you did have a computer, you printed it off and you stuck it on, you did like a picture and it was awesome. And so you'd stand there with your A3 card in front of everyone and then you would present the information that was on your card, usually reading straight off of the card. Uh, and that was your oral presentation. Who remembers oral presentations? So we, we had this oral presentation that we had to do. There's two things I remember about that year nine physics class. One was this oral presentation. The other was something I can't talk about too much here because it involves my best mate who's actually in church today, some methane and being kicked out of class. But there was a lot of laughter. But in this case, we, we had this presentation and, and basically what Les said to us was it was free reign. So we could talk about anything we wanted to talk about as long as it had to do with physics. So it was... It was exciting. So we all went away and we, we did our stuff and we presented whatever we presented. I can't remember what I presented. I can't remember what anyone else presented except for this one kid, a kid called James. And James wasn't the most academic lad. James wasn't particularly uh, someone who liked doing work, but he was a good thinker. And I remember we all got up there and we did our presentations and it got to the very end and James was sitting there. He had no A3 piece of cardboard. He had not prepared anything. He wasn't ready to do any sort of Uh, information presentation and so he's sitting there and Les sits back in his chair and he says, James, do you have anything you'd like to say? And James just stands up and says, as a matter of fact, I do. And he walks straight up to Les 
he grabs the whiteboard marker out of his hand. This was back when you had whiteboards. And he would, and he just wrote, he goes, ladies and gentlemen, the night sky. And then he proceeded to give the greatest oral presentation in year nine history. And he started talking about the night sky and how he had this thesis, this idea that a day would come when the night sky would no longer be black, but would be entirely bright and light. And he said, you know, the night sky, the universe is filled with an infinite number of stars in this infinite, endless space and light travels at the speed of light and he goes and I believe a day is coming when the light from those infinite number of stars will cascade through space consuming the darkness around it and light up the sky so much so that eventually we will see no darkness and only light as the light from every star in the universe finally reaches earth and we all sat there like this What the heck has he just done? And he used this really interesting phrase. He kept talking about the fact that light always consumes darkness. He was saying darkness can never consume light. Light will always consume darkness. So in the fullness of time, in the fullness of time, darkness will be consumed by light. And when it comes to nighttime, instead of going outside and gazing at the stars, we'll just go outside and gaze at the light. And I remember Les Ormrod in that moment, it was so funny because he was so doubting James and he was sort of started sitting on his chair with his legs crossed, reclining back, thinking this is going to be terrible. And the longer the presentation went, the legs became uncrossed, the hands went to the hips, then he sort of sat up and then the mouth dropped, like, like just completely not believing what James was doing. And then when James finished, he was like, James, the science is very flawed, (laughs) He's like something about stars dying. Luke can tell you later. He's a science teacher. But he said, the science is very flawed. But what you have done, whether you know it or not, you have just discussed one of the most profound motifs about light and darkness, one of the most incredibly profound philosophical conversations that has existed in all of human history. He's like, that's what you've just done. And then year nine science became year nine philosophy for a while. As we listen to Les start to talk about light and darkness and how darkness, whether it be the physical, whether it be the metaphysical, whether it be just the spiritual, whatever, in any case, right throughout human history, in all different areas, all different cultures, all different religions, we have always had this understanding that light will always consume darkness. And there's always been this sense that there is darkness in the world and yet light has come into the world to destroy the darkness that exists. And there's always been this idea that darkness is associated with with the pain, with decay, with death, with destruction. Where, Where there's darkness, there's chaos. Where there's darkness, there's confusion. But where there is light, there is clarity and there is hope and there is meaning and there is purpose and there is peace. And he started talking about this and you know what? Les was right. James was right. This is a crazy, interesting motif. And in order for us to understand what John is talking about here 
in the beginning of John chapter 1, we have to understand that this is a really significant, powerful conversation in humanity, right? You see, can I teach for a little bit? Is that okay? Can we go a little bit deeper? Can we? Or is that not okay on a Sunday morning for you? Can we go a bit deep? You see, Darwinism has made Western secular society believe that something comes from nothing. Darwinism has this basic fundamental premise that matter always was. And because matter always was, at some point in history, matter collided, causing a great explosion, sending the universe cascading into the endlessness of space, right? It's called single origin theory. And that's what Darwin proposed. But when you look at it, and there's great science around the fact that universes are constantly uh, moving away from us at a great speed. Galaxies, sorry, are moving away from us at a great speed. There's great science around it. It's fascinating stuff. But the fundamental premise is that at the very beginning, matter, physical substance, had to always exist because something cannot come from nothing, right? So that's the fundamental premise of Darwinism, that something physical always existed. However, throughout all of human history, there has been a deep, profound understanding that something cannot come from nothing. Something physical cannot come from nothing. Let me show you right now. I'm going to create cake. Hang on, I'll try again. What's the problem? There's no ingredients. I need something to make something. Are you with me? Yeah? And so this is the fundamental issue with Darwinism. But throughout all of human history, throughout every single culture, there has been an understanding that in order for something physically to be, there has to be something metaphysical, something outside of what our five senses perceive so that that thing can be made. So just because we perceive only the physical doesn't mean that something exists outside the physical. So either either the physical always was or there was a metaphysical being thing that always was and that thing, that being, that whatever it is, brought matter into being. So either the single source origin of life is two particles colliding, or the single source origin of life that sent the universe, sent the galaxies into existence was something outside the physical realm. Right? Who's loving science this morning? This is the fundamental premise, and it's a premise that actually exists throughout human, like throughout history, right? And so the Greeks, the ancient Greeks, they had this idea, they called this metaphysical reality, they called it the Logos. Everyone say Logos, which we translate word. So when John writes, in the beginning was the word, he says, in the beginning was the Logos. It means the reason, the source, the reason stuff is, is because in the beginning there always was this, this thing, this reason, this greater purpose, which put everything into existence. And the Greeks had this deep, profound understanding that this is reality. This is how the world came to be, through the logos, through the metaphysical, through the uh, 
this, this something beyond our realm created. And the Jews, they had a different view. They, they understood that this logos, this reason, this, this uh, supernatural uh, meaning to life actually was God. Like when you read the Genesis 1 account, it says, in the beginning, God. So they actually acknowledged that this logos, that this word is a personable, relatable being who revealed himself to them as Yahweh. God, the Logos. And so throughout human history, throughout different cultures, there's an understanding that life has to come from something outside of our reality. A child cannot create itself. It needs something outside of its reality. It needs a mother and father to come together so that that child can have life. And the same is true for human existence. Something outside our reality must create because something can't come from nothing. Right? And so this is how the, the ancient world understood. They didn't have a problem with this idea that there is a metaphysical reality and some called it the Logos, some that they knew it to be God. And this is where, with this context, John writes, this is genius, friends. This is genius because John says, in the beginning was this reason that the Greeks understood. In the beginning was this reality. It's the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. And so for the Greeks, he says this, and the Greeks are like, yeah. And then he says, it's God. And they're like, ah, interesting. And for the Jews, when he says, in the beginning was the Logos, they're like, okay, interesting. And he goes, and that Logos is God. And they're like, yeah, you're speaking my language. I get get that. I get there's something beyond me that created me. And yeah, that's God. Awesome. And the Greeks are like, oh, that's pretty interesting. I suppose there could be one ultimate, powerful, divine being. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. It's only Western secular culture that sort of just says, no, that's ridiculous. It's actually perfectly logical. It's actually probably more logical than believing something physical can come out of nothing. Anyway, I'm on a tangent. So it's perfectly logical thinking, right? And so John puts this in place and he says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, without Him nothing was made that has been made. Again, it makes sense to them. These people hearing this are like, yes, absolutely, that's how life started, that's how things came into being. Then he says something fascinating. He says, in Him was life, absolutely, because that's how life came to be, and that life was the light, someone say light, of all mankind. That life, that source was light. What he's saying is the Logos, Greeks, the Logos is the light that you know, this this eternal conversation of light and darkness, light and darkness, light which consumes darkness. That light is the reason. That light is the divine. And to the Jews, it's like, this is God. He is light. God is, in essence, light which will consume darkness. He is meaning, purpose, reason, hope, peace. He is all the things. Outside of him is chaos, is despair, is depravity, is darkness, is death. Only the light can bring life. God, therefore, is light. And he's speaking to this incredibly broad philosophical conversation that the people go, oh, I get it. God is the source. God is light. God is the one who brings hope in the midst of despair. He is the one who gives me meaning and reason. I am not a mistake. I am not just a bunch of atoms colliding randomly in a haphazard manner, which means my whole life is meaningless and purposeless. 
No, he's saying, I created you. I spoke you into being. And because of that, your life has intrinsic value, which Darwin society, modern society says you have no value. But we know that you do. We know that you do. Because you're made in the image of a loving God. Your life has meaning and purpose because you were made by the light, which is meaning and purpose. The reason for all things. Is this making sense? And so John says, in the beginning was the light. And that light was the life of men. You, God is light, all right? And so then we fast forward to John chapter 8, and this is going to blow your minds. So with that as a background, that as a fundamental understanding of culture at this time, Jesus starts having his conversations and his ministry, and he's standing in John chapter 8 at something called the, the Festival of Tabernacles or the Festival of Booths, which is a Jewish festival of water and light. It's where the Jews are celebrating this idea, the, the, the God of light, the God who created, the God of uh, the one who brings meaning, purpose, reason, life. He's saying that this, this is what this festival is. So they had these amazing ceremonies, amazing rituals with water. And there was one incredible ceremony where they had these enormous bowls that they filled with oil and they lit up 16 huge bowls right near the temple in the court of women, right? And it sort of surrounded the, the yellow limestone of the temple, these, these huge walls, and when they lit them up, the whole temple would just sort of illuminate this beautiful, yellow, incredible, vibrant light. And back then, they didn't have street lights. Have you ever been camping when there's no light? What do you see? Nothing. <laughs> But then all of a sudden, when you see those stars, how bright are they? Imagine in that space, enormous limestone walls glowing in the light of this incredible fire. Imagine that setting. This is where Jesus is when he's preaching. And he says to the people, he says, I am the light of the world. John chapter 8, verse 12. He says, when Jesus spoke to the people, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is crazy. Jesus is making a massive statement about himself. First, he uses the I am, which we know to be what, how, Jesus, how God revealed himself to the Jewish people. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. He's saying, Jesus is saying, I am the light. I am the logos. I am the source of life. I am the one through whom everything was made. Jesus is claiming to be God. Unashamedly, unapologetically, he's saying, I am everything you need for life. I'm the source of life. I'm, I am this, right? And so he's standing in this temple with all these people looking at this incredible light display and he's like, this is who I am. This is where you're going to find reason. This is where you're going to find meaning. This is where you're going to find hope and purpose and peace in the midst of your darkness. Whatever's going on, I am light, and then there's this massive conversation which goes on where the religious people are like, whatever, bro, you're not that. We don't even, you know, you don't even know who your father is and all that sort of gear. And at the end, he says, the end of chapter 8, he says, before Abraham was, I am. 
a crazy statement about his nature and who he is. And friends, I want to talk today very quickly. If Jesus is the light, if Jesus is God, if he is the source of all being, if he is who he said he is, then that has some profound implications for us. And that means he is well worth giving our lives for. He is well worth, he is the pearl of great price because he is God. And here's what I want to show you today. If he is who he says he is, then what that means is that in Christ, the reason he's worth following is because in Christ, he brings clarity in the midst of chaos. Have you ever got up in the middle of the night when it's pitch black? Ever done that? When you, walk, like you wake up in the middle of the night, or especially if you're in uh, like a foreign place, like you're at a hotel or you're at someone else's house, and you wake up in the middle of the night and you're all disorientated. Anyone ever been there before? Don't you love it when you wake up and in your mind you've got a picture of your room you're in, but you can't see anything, so you're sort of just guessing, and you wake up, you sort of get out of bed, and the first thing you do is just slam straight into a door, and you're trying to be quiet, and then everyone wakes up. Then you step on something like, oh, God, ah. Oh! And it's just chaos. And in the end, the only way that you can escape that room that you're now stuck in is to flick a light on. And the moment the light comes on, what happens? Clarity. The moment the light comes on, even if it's just your phone, you go, oh, now I know where I am. I'm in the cupboard. (laughs) I'm supposed to be over here. There's something about light that brings clarity, yeah? There's something about light that opens our eyes. You know, as this passage continues in John chapter 9, Jesus, immediately after saying all these things, you know the first thing he does? He heals a blind man. He gives a blind man sight. That's not a separate story. That's a continuation of the same theme. He's like, I'm the one who brings sight, which involves light, in your darkness. And when you are in me, you can see. When you are in me, you have clarity. When you are in me, you can begin to understand that no matter what's going on, even if you're in the middle of the boat and the storm's raging and all this stuff is crashing in around you, saying, I might not stop the chaos. The darkness will still be around you. There'll still be things going on in your life that you might not understand. But right here, right now, when you're in me, there is light and I will guide and direct your path. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. He's saying, you can trust me because I'm the one who will light your way in the darkness. I am the one who brings hope, meaning, and purpose. So no matter what's going on, there is clarity in me in that I love you, I'm here for you, I'm with you. The second thing that we're going to see in Jesus is that we find freedom from fear. Freedom from fear. I grew up in the Uniting Church, and the Uniting Church has those big old buildings, church buildings. Who knows that a church building is a scary place at night time? Anyone? I'm a kid. I walk into that Westbourne Park, and it is, it's dark, and you walk in, and there's huge high ceilings, and it's creaky old floorboards, and there's like a cross at the front with an altar, and you're thinking, is Jesus going to jump out and get me? It's a freaky place at night in the dark. Churches aren't supposed to be in the dark. Churches are supposed to be in the light, amen? And so we're standing in this, and I remember just being petrified of the dark. 
I hated the dark. How many kids, well, they, you turn the light off at night, some and they're like, I hate the dark. Turn a light on. Turn a light on. I need a light because there's something associated with fear in darkness. Darkness is, it sort of presses in on us and there's this sense that if there's light, then all of a sudden I have freedom from that fear. The boogeyman can't get me in the light. Because I know where I'm going, because I have clarity. And Jesus is saying that I'm coming to give you freedom from fear. I am coming to give you freedom from those things that would seek to tear you down, seek to destroy you. He's saying, I'm giving you freedom. And I love this Psalm 27.1, the Lord is my light and salvation. And because of that, whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? When, he, when we are in Christ, he gives us freedom from fear. And finally, in the band, you can come up. The last thing that I just love about, if Jesus is the light of the world, as he said that he is, the reason he's worth following is because, because of the fact that he brings clarity and chaos, because of the fact that he brings freedom from fear, it means that we can shake off the shackles. Someone say, shake it off. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, shake it off. It means you can shake off the shackles. Whom the sun sets free, they are free indeed. Whom the sun sets free, whom the sun sets free, too many Christians are walking in chains that have been broken. On the cross, in Christ, the light of the world broke the chains of darkness. It is time for the church to arise, stop walking in fear, stop walking in meaninglessness, stop walking in rejection, stop walking in bitterness, stop walking in shame, stop walking in the things that the world keeps heaping upon you, guilt, condemnation, whom the Son sets free, you are free indeed. It is time to shake off the shackles. The church was not meant to walk. I've had bitterness on my heart. Do you know what? Jesus forgave you for your sin. Jesus forgave the person who sinned against you. And it is time for you to forgive that, them, the person who hurt you. Because unforgiveness always leads to bitterness. But he broke that chain. He broke that chain. And when you can stand before someone and every day, not saying it's easy, but every day say, God, because you have done this for me, because you have broken this chain, let me walk in forgiveness. Let me walk in forgiveness. I'm telling you, I'm speaking over you right now. A weight that you have been carrying is going to fall off your shoulders because you've been carrying chains you weren't supposed to carry. Those chains have been broken. Those chains have been broken. Those chains have been broken. Shake them off. Shake them off. It's time to shake them off and walk in the light of the one who gave you life. I've been thinking about this beautiful old hymn, Charles Wesley. He wrote an amazing song called And Can It Be? And there's this verse in And Can It Be? And it said, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's light. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. Do you know what that means? The light of God came into my situation. 
The light of God came into my circumstance. The light of God came into my brokenness. The light of God came into my bitterness. The light of God came into my fear. The light of God came into my confusion and my chaos and my lack of clarity. The light of God came into that. I woke. The dungeon flamed with light. And my chains fell off. And my heart was free. So what did I do? I rose. I went forth. And I followed thee. Too many people know the stuff. I've grown up in church. Yes, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. I know the stuff. Yeah, he died on a cross for my sin. And we're just sitting in chains. Yeah, Jesus loves me. This I know. More shame. Jesus loves me. This I know. More guilt. Because you did this. You made this mistake. This happened to you. More bitterness. No, no. You're supposed to rise. Shake it off. Go forth and follow thee. Follow Jesus. Leave your nets. Go with him. Walk with him. It's what we're talking about. Don't be a fan on the sideline. Be a follower. Say, you want to walk? I'm in. Why? Because he set you free. And whom the Son sets free, they're free indeed. So let's just walk with him. And when the enemy comes and says, yeah, but what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And this is still going on in your world. And you're still broken. And this still isn't working. And where's God answering that prayer? And why is he not answering that prayer? You just say, the cross stands as a testimony of all time. His blood avails me and he set me free. And because he is the light of the world, I have the light of life for all eternity. And I'm following him. Because that's all the clarity I need. Whom the sun sets free, they are free indeed. And I just feel to pray this morning for some freedom. So can you stand to your feet? Jesus is the great I am. He is the light of the world. He is the reason. He is the meaning. And I wish... There was something I could say to make that drop on your heart and make you go, yes, but I can't. It's only by the grace of God. It's only of the power of God. It's only by the Spirit of God. But by jingos, I wish it would be true for you as it has for so many in this house. He loves you. He came for you. You are not a random, haphazard, meaningless, pointless existence. The light of the world brought you into being for the purpose of relationship with Him. So you would have clarity and chaos. So you would be free from the fear that haunts so many. And so that you could shake off those shackles and follow Him. So I want to pray over this church this morning. I want to pray over you. And if you want prayer, if you've got faith to pray, come forward. If you just feel like you want to pray for some people today, we'll go over there and over there. Um, so come, if you want to pray for people, come, elders, leaders, anyone with faith to pray, come forward. And if you would like prayer in this space, come, get prayed for. Let's move now. Don't just stand there and be awkward for me. I love it when people start to move. It makes my life easier. And we'd love to pray. So let's pray together. Loving Heavenly Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you that you are the light of the world. I thank you that you came that we might know freedom, that we might have a vision, that we might walk in the light and not in the darkness because the great promise and the power of Scripture is that the light shone in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Light will always consume darkness. Darkness can never, ever consume light. 
Because darkness is the, the emptiness of all things. And light is the fullness of God in Christ Jesus. So I just want to pray that light into every soul in this place. Pray that freedom. We pray for victory in Jesus' name. Victory over fear. Victory over bitterness. Victory over brokenness. Victory over the chains that hold us. Victory over all these things that would seek to keep us from rising and going forth and following. Lord, make us a church of followers, not a church of fans. We pray this in Jesus' almighty name. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's sing. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.